For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Riccaro inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and we are keeping score. It just gets better. Do you remember when we were all talking in April about no sports whatsoever? We were going crazy, and the quid pro quo would be a September dilution. Well, here it is. And everybody talking about the reduction of sponsorships and viewerships in certain sports. Well, that's because sponsorship money has increased, ad money has increased, and overall net viewership has increased through the roof because it's the first time ever we've had all sports playing at the same time television carrying the day. That's a consistent theme, certainly for the next couple of weeks, and we will take advantage of it. This week, get right to it. Deal making in sports, three to one. Three. Nike sprinted past earnings expectations for the quarter. Online sales jumped 82%. Quarterly earnings reported last week by CNBC. Nike's revenue slipped 0.6% to $10.59 billion but topped the $9.15 billion forecast by analysts. Nike shares also soared 13% in extended trading as the company reported the massive increase in online sales and offered up an outlook that called for demand to grow through the holidays. For the first quarter ended August 31, net income climbed to $1.52 billion, or $0.95 cents per share, from $1.37 billion, $0.86 cents a year earlier far better than the $0.47 per share analysts were expecting. The companies used the coronavirus pandemic as an opportunity to accelerate its digital commerce, and as a result, its women's apparel division grew nearly 200%. In other significant apparel news, Neymar's new deal with Puma, worth an estimated $29 million per year, according to Forbes, making it the largest individual sports sponsorship contract in history, will also have Enid Viana's Lifestyle Minute, Bring back some glory days of Converse and Chuck Taylors later in the podcast. Two. American investors increasingly taking advantage of the lucrative opportunities presented by European soccer ownership. Axios Sports reports the Krauss family, which made its fortune in running convenience stores across the Midwest, acquired a 90% stake in Italian soccer club Parma in a deal that values the club at more than $100 million. Parma's past two decades have been chaotic, but after three straight promotions, they're back in Serie A, Italy's top division. Three of Europe's top five soccer leagues have some variation of American ownership. Stan Kroenke's purchase of Arsenal, the Glazers' family longtime investment in Man U, and former Dodger owner Frank McCourt's investment in Marseille. 23 of the 100 most valuable soccer clubs in the world and six of the top 30 have American ownership per SoccerX. Investing in lower-tier clubs can also yield huge returns, with TV money skyrocketing as clubs earn promotion 
to more competitive divisions. Unsurprisingly, 11 teams in lower divisions of the English, Italian, and French leagues have American owners. One. Finally, deal-making issue number one. The coronavirus pandemic will cost soccer around the world about $14.5 billion this year, according to the sport's global governing body. Club soccer globally generates between $40 billion and $45 billion annually, according to FIFA, meaning COVID-19 has already wiped approximately a third from that figure in 2020. FIFA approved a $1.5 billion relief fund in June to help federations and confederations cope with the financial impact of the health crisis. And FIFA COVID Relief Planning Committee folks told Reuters that 150 of the governing body's 211 member associations have already applied for emergency grants. They also admitted that the cost is too great for the Swiss-based organization to, quote, mitigate a loan. It's a huge number, and it covers the football economy in its entirety said Ren, a former EU commissioner and now governor of the Bank of Finland. He added, it can't be an exact figure, but it's an estimate of losses in 211 member associations. And that's deal-making issue number one. It's money, 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 and that is obviously significant. But money in sports, it's basically driven by the superstars, the spokespeople, and the stories around sports. If you don't think that sports is a storytelling adventure, think about what happens during the pandemic when big stories predominated. And although sports didn't have any live features to it, still very significant when you took a look at Last Dance and some of the other shows that were on. Tom Callahan, the former senior writer at Time Magazine and sports columnist at The Washington Post, he's also the author of nine books, including The GM and New York Times bestseller Johnny Yu. He has a great perspective, having written a new book called Gods at Play, an eyewitness account of great moments in American sports. Tom Callahan spent a good deal of time with us reflecting on the greatest athletes, the greatest stories, and the world we live in today. Tom Callahan. The scene has shifted in many ways to the personality of athletes as role models, athletes themselves driving things. And as people are maybe more astute viewers, as television is carrying the day, as the superstar athlete is now meant to take on a lot more of a significance, uh, we have a, a book that's as good as it gets, Tom Callahan, who humbly describes his uh, career as a sports writer for 50 years. He's going to tell us more about his career, obviously, because we know him, and his book. So, Tom, how are you? I'm grand. Good. Wonderful. Thank you for doing this for us. First of all, let's get to the book itself first. I, I know you told me I've got it. I know, but you do it. Name, uh, title, where it is, and kind of the general uh, theme of what you tried to accomplish. The title is Gods at Play. The subtitle is An Eyewitness Account of Great Moments in American Sports. There's nothing in this book that I wasn't there for. I, I'm not writing about anything I heard of. I was present. You know, I've had this unusual life where I was standing at the finish line for all the Secretariat's big races. You know, and I was sitting at ringside in Africa when Ellie fought Foreman. I was at a million Olympic Games and, and scores of World Series and, and Super Bowls and miracles on ice. And, <laughs> you know, I've done, I, I went all the way to the Snake River to take Evil Knievel against the canyon. You know, I was in, I was in Houston 
when Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean played tennis. I I was lucky enough to be standing at Roberto Clemente's final locker. Of course, we didn't know it was his final locker of in course. Cincinnati. And um, it's just kind of the circumstantial life I've lived, and I sat down to write, collect my memories. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a sports writer's memoir. Most of them, uh, I was there for Time Magazine. I, I wrote, uh, I took care of the sports for Time Magazine for quite a while, wrote, you know, 30-some cover stories for them, and Joe Montana and Larry Bird and Wayne Gretzky and lots of people. But uh, but, but I found, Rick, that the, the smallest memories turned out to be the biggest ones at the end, you know, more than the more than the cataclysmic score or, you know, no touchdowns, no 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 home runs. Um, if I'll, t- I'll tell you a, a typical little memory, if the 1972 World Series started in Cincinnati, Jackie Robinson was on the field before Game Two. He was um, 53, but looked 73, white-headed, virtually blind from diabetes. Nine days later, he dropped dead. Of course, on the field, the black players from both the Oakland A's and the Cincinnati Reds surrounded him. They just wanted to touch him. Everybody but Joe Morgan, little second baseman for the Reds, he kept playing catch on the side. I kind of got fascinated by him. And uh, when the message came on the PA system for the non-uniform personnel to get off the field, Morgan walked up behind Robinson, and he didn't say, this is Joe Morgan. He simply said, in a voice so low, I had to lean in to hear him, thank you. Robinson, without turning around, said, you're welcome. I followed Jackie as they led him into the Reds dugout, up the ramp to the clubhouse, where he ran into Jim Murray of the L.A. Times. Jackie, it's Jim Murray, Jim said. Oh, Jim. Oh, Jim, Robinson said. I wish I could see you again. Murray said, I wish we could see you again. Well, I can't tell you, Rick, the score of that game that day, but I'll never forget that exchange. Well, and listen, Tom, you have 50, 100 other stories like that, and uh, the, the idea of the book is quite compelling because I think America is a storytelling culture and it's not just the box scores but as you point out you've been at all of these and you have an opportunity to transcend all all the box scores would you say generally that storytelling is is more important as it ever was is it more important today uh than it was before now that everything's on social media and we can get everything instantly what what's your as a journalist what's your take on that question I, I guess I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I'm a dinosaur. You know, I don't do very much. Um, I don't Twitter. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't. I don't understand it. You know, when I started in the business, the sports writers were all gentlemen in, in coats and ties and fedoras usually. And uh, now, if you walk into a press box, it looks like a convention of uh, sharecroppers. You know, it's it's the least it's the worst dressed society of men in the world. You know, right. and, and and the Red Smiths and Shirley Povich, who broke me in when I was young, they wouldn't 
participate in the food fights that are on television today. You know, the sports writing's changed. Well, the world has changed, and, and a lot of, in a lot of cases, maybe for the better. But yeah, storytelling has always mattered more to me. Uh, you know, I kind of accidentally got into sports. Uh, you know, I didn't set out to get into sports. I walked into a newspaper and asked for the city editor, but I ended up a sports writer. And I, I'm kind of glad I did because cause it, it, I, I came to know lots of people, you know, compelling people, compelling figures. I don't think there was a more compelling figure out of the world of sports than Muhammad Ali. Uh, but Ali and I, I was at most of his big fights, and I knew him quite well, and, and he... Uh, he always said the same thing when he saw me. How's Angie? I like her better than you. And uh, he never met her. You know, I, I was on the phone with him once, desperate to get off because the deadline was bearing down. I handed the phone to my wife, went in the next room, wrote a column, came out an hour and a half later, and they were still talking. Um, when I was in Africa, I picked the wrong guy, of course, as usual, foreman. In one, and Ali came into the hacienda where all the writers did their typing, and and uh, a couple of days before the fight, and he looked on the chart, and there there it was, Callahan, Foreman one, and he he motioned for me to come outside with him, and we went out into the dark, darker than half past midnight, you know, it was, we we had to hold on to each other to make our way to the Congo River, you know, it was so it was so black and. Uh, he said to me, I'm going to tell you something now, and I, I don't want you to ever forget it. Black men scare white men more than black men scare black men. And, of course, that's right. We were afraid of foreman. And and, and, and I said to him, aren't you even a little afraid? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, fear. i got to have my fear. I can't do without my fear. He said, but only a very little. I said, Angelo Dundee said he's never seen you this uptight. And he said, my whole destiny is at stake here. But uh, it, it, it was a great thing, even in the sad latter days, you know, the, 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 the end of my relationship with Muhammad, when he was losing himself. Um, I was in a car with him and my great friend from Sports Illustrated, Bill Knack, and um, we're talking, and, and a, an old boxing writer who I knew Ali loved, because I saw him, guy named Bob Waters. I saw him sneak up behind Waters and kiss him on the top of his pink head. And I, I knew they loved each other. And um, Bill says to, to Ali, uh, Champ, do you, do you remember Bob Waters? And Ali said in that voice like a, oh, God, like a man with an artificial larynx. He said, uh, vaguely. And I said, at least you remember the word vaguely. And and he tried to laugh, you know, but the, yeah. that great laugh was gone. Yeah. Well, and listen, I, I'm sure we all have different memories of different folks in the industry, certainly not as deeply or prolifically as, as you. Uh, you got to know this question's coming because I'm sure everybody's asking it. Your favorite story, your favorite athlete. Oh boy, you know. Well, we just talked about certainly one of them, but I, I had a particular weakness for Arthur Ashe. Um, I I went to the Washington Star to write a column, and uh, my first Wimbledon there, somebody introduced me to Ashe, and 
He said, I don't, I not only know Tom Callahan, we're great adversaries. He wrote a column every now and then for the Washington Post. And we became crossword puzzle friends. No, no trip was too far to go, no premium too much to pay for the Sunday New York Times in London. And, uh, and, and different times during the year, he'd call me up. He once called me up laughing because uh, I'd, uh, I'd written a story about in, time, in Time Magazine about uh, John Thompson going to the Final Four in New Orleans and housing the Hoyas an hour and a half away in Mississippi because he didn't trust them to be in New Orleans. And uh, so I wrote, he's the only black man who ever moved to Biloxi for peace of mind. And, and Ash called me up laughing, and, and uh, we, we just developed a, a tremendous relationship. And, and he, he, some, some of us knew he had AIDS before the world did. He, Frank DeFord, who was my great friend and his great friend, Sports Illustrated writer, he asked Arthur, can I tell Callahan? And he said, yes. And anyway, eventually, Arthur blew the whistle on himself to, you know, to preempt USA Today. They were going to go forward with the scoop. And so he called a, pre a press conference in New York, and he told about HIV. And it was a heartbreaking day. And um, when it was finished, and he, he's there with his wife and little daughter, Camera. Um, a bunch of us, you know, circled around him, and he grabbed my elbow, and he pulled me real close to him, and he whispered in my ear, I want to be buried six down and four across. And it was all I could do not to weep right yeah. there. Yeah. But it was a great, it, I, I feel so lucky to have known him. And, uh, and, and you know, there are a lot of them. There, you know, I... I the first NFL locker room I was ever in, I got tapped on a shoulder and I turned around. It was Raymond Berry, the great Baltimore Colt receiver. And he said to me, you're the lostest looking guy I ever saw in here. Who are you? And I said, I'm Tom Callahan with the Evening Sun. And uh, we talked for a couple of minutes and he said, who do you want to talk to? I said, Unitas. So he went and pulled John Unitas away from the real writers and introduced me. And he said, John, this is a good friend of mine, Tom Callahan. I met him five um, minutes before. Five yeah, minutes. Yeah, and and yeah, I, I see, yeah. said, this is a good friend of mine, Tom Callahan. He, he has some things he wants to ask you. And you know, I just said, hello, Tommy. And I was Tommy to him the rest of his life. Yeah. And listen, there are a lot of other, sure, there are a lot of other stories that are unique to you and unique to everybody. In just a couple of minutes, I guess, we have left relative to industry uh, we talked briefly about it a minute ago, but you know now it's an entirely different game. There are deadlines for different things, but the deadlines are social media driven sometimes, and it's first one in, not necessarily quality. What is your sense of where the industry is today, and maybe more importantly, where you know sports journalism, where is it going? Yeah, I'm a bad source on that because. Uh... There was a time when I could, you'd name a town and I'd tell you their sports writer. Everybody had a sports writer who was synonymous with the city. And uh, that, that I don't think exists anymore. And I'm sure there, there are, uh, are writers who are quite good and are, who, who figured out the, the social media part of it and can handle that. Um, I don't know whether there's the equivalent of Red Smith, you know, or there's the equivalent of Shirley Povich, you know, 
uh, or, or all these great old guys who were basically wordsmiths, you know, and cared most about um, the mother tongue. And, and uh, you know, they were at their best at the, at the moments when they had to be. You know, when the shooting broke out in Munich at the Olympics, the old, those old guys were all at their absolute best. And, uh, and, and so maybe, maybe there are guys who are terrific now that I just don't know. You know, it's like I, I can't even I don't even know who the great newspaper guys are. I knew knew them. I once knew them all. But uh, but I'm not insisting that there there aren't aren't really skilled guys and, and that it's that it's going to even get better in, so, in, in some sense. But but I'm an old crock. And so I'm a little I'm a little sad, you know, like today's sports writers don't care about horse racing you know they they the in my day in the earliest days they only the writers only cared about four games baseball college football boxing horse racing they did the other things under dress but you know if you mentioned hockey or basketball to red smith he'd say i'd sooner commit adultery to which someone would always say who wouldn't but uh but yeah the 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 it's changed you know i, I don't think you know, Mike Wilbon goes to the Kentucky Derby. I don't think he, reg- you know, I don't think he would count Secretariat among the greatest athletes of his time. But I would. But I was standing at the finish line and when he came from- alone into the home stretch, yeah. and then he kept coming and coming, and he was still alone. Yeah, well, that may have been the greatest sporting event ever, and one of the beauties of your book, I suspect, is that people will have different opinions on very subjective issues relative to who's the best, uh, what's the best, what's the best story. And frankly, it is really exciting to have a book like this available for general circulation. Pandemic or not, everybody has to read it. Well, Tom Callahan gives us some significant perspective as we move forward. Hopefully, when we see the light at the end of the horrible COVID tunnel. Let's look at the Sports Tech Minute, and there's no Laver Cup this fall, but tennis fans can now participate in the popular event on their phones. The international men's tennis competition conceived by Roger Federer that pits six top European stars against six of their counterparts from the rest of the world teamed up with Tennis Clash, the world's most popular tennis game for mobile platforms. It was developed by Wildlife Studios to create a Labor Cup-themed in-game tournament. Many organizations have looked to the gaming world to stay connected to their fans this year. And that's how this innovative partnership came about, said Mark Pinello, Wildlife Vice President of Business Development. Working with Laver Cup allowed us to directly create a really fun experience for Tennis Clash and Laver Cup fans. The next Laver Cup, 2022, and approximately for the new mobile video game, appropriately it'll take place at London's O2 Arena, Title sponsored by the UK Telecom Services Provider. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Good Sports 5, the issues as we normally do, will highlight all of them relative to sports philanthropy during this pandemic. Wasserman Media, and they created a women's sports think tank called The Collective, with the company calling a first-of-its-kind initiative, bringing together researchers at academic institutions and sports organizations, properties, brands, and media companies to gather and disseminate insights and information. The initial 10 research projects planned will address topics such as female fandom, 
including consumption and purchasing power, and how women who work are represented in the sports business. A cattle call for on a carrier for a cause. How about this? Professional bull riders taking rodeo where none has gone before. An aircraft carrier. The PBR Air Force Reserve Cowboys for Cause will take place aboard the USS Lexington in Corpus Christi. The proceeds from the event, event donated to Operation Homefront, an organization that provides financial support, housing, and other resources to U.S. military families. Dr. Pepper doubling its annual Dr. Pepper tuition giveaway to $2 million. Its largest giveaway in its 12-year history. You see it at halftimes of college football games. And then Converse takes an inclusive approach with its marketing. We've already spoken about that significantly as we looked at retail. And that's your power and good sports five. But we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the investment by Converse and their hometown approach. Enid Vienna, who contributes weekly, is our lifestyle expert and wellness writer. She's the editor of two websites, the evsocial.com, covering entertainment, wellness, fashion, and travel, and hamptonsmoms.com, which addresses all things family on Long Island's magical East End. She also contributes content to various magazines and websites, such as Hamptons Magazine and ArtSugar.com. And she asks that you follow her on Instagram at the EV Social and Hamptons Moms. Well, last Friday, as we said, Converse announced a new marketing program that will fund creative ideas aligning with Converse's stated corporate priorities of environmental sustainability, diversity and inclusion, and youth development. Well, Converse's parent company is Nike, investing a million dollars into an accelerator program. It's called Converse All-Star Captains. It's identified 13 captains from a Harvard Student Council campaign for this venture. The brand ambassadors will act as a sounding board for Converse, a direct way to plug into youth culture. It'll follow these 13 captains funding their passion projects with plans to inspire and enact change. Converse has long best been known by their, uh, for their Chuck Taylors, by the way, the casual yet cool shoes that have played a significant role in pop culture for decades. Enid doesn't see a better fit between a brand and the younger demographic. The iconic shoe has been a staple in the American wardrobe for decades, with everyone from Snoop Dogg to Michelle Obama rocking them and everyone in between. There's never been a more pivotal moment in history to highlight young talent and showcase positive change in an otherwise bleak pandemic world. We can all agree to that. And no better a shoe to honor the past while looking toward the future than a Chuck Taylor. The world is ready to hear what the future generation has in store for us, especially as it relates to environmental sustainability. And it'll be interesting and inspiring to see what new light these all-star campaigns breathe into this iconic brand. It's Enid Vianna's Lifestyle Minute, and I certainly echo it in all its context. We'd like to thank Enid for continuing to contribute. We'd like to thank Tom Callahan for his half-century of perspective. We'd like to thank all those involved in putting the show together. We'd like to thank you all for listening and watching. And join us next week when we continue to keep score. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. 
leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.